When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, SFF Yet listeners, and welcome to Backlist to the Future, our new bi-weekly installment of recommendations from the deep and sometimes dusty corners of science fiction and fantasy, because one show every two weeks is just not enough to cover all the books we want to talk about. I'm Jen Northington, recording on August 29th, and we're going to talk about reading deeper Backlist by current favorite authors today. I also want to mention that we're giving ourselves a two-book limit, even though we're really enthusiastic, because we don't want to run out of books to talk about in future episodes. So before I get into these new backlist favorites, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, which is Recommended, one of our other podcasts. And you can tune into the newest season where we're talking to interesting people about their favorite books. In season five, we're hearing from authors Nicole Dennis-Ben and Tamsin Muir, who wrote Gideon the Ninth, which if you are a sci-fi fantasy fan, you might have been hearing about. We're also talking to hashtag disabled and cute creator Kia Brown, cartoonist Jen Wang, and many more all about the books that have shaped their reading lives. Go to bookriot.com slash recommended to listen or add it in any of your podcatchers. All right. So what do I mean when I say deeper backlist by current favorite authors. If you have been paying attention at all in science fiction and fantasy, you have heard us talk about All Systems Red and other Murderbot novellas by Martha Wells. I discovered her through Murderbot. I had not heard of her or read her before. The novellas have won a bunch of awards. There's a bunch of them out now, including a collection, I believe. And I was just totally blown away by that science fiction. And I was talking to a friend about these books and he was like, oh, I've read her fantasy. And I was like, record scratch. She's got fantasy because I had failed to do my research. So he brought me his super dog-eared, kind of amazingly battered, like missing the cover copy of her first novel, The Element of Fire which came out in 1993. So Martha Wells has been around for a minute, and I'm kind of astonished that I had not previously heard of her. Like, I feel like I have failed myself and perhaps others <laughs> through my lack of research into her after reading the Murderbot books. So very, very excited I was to dive into this fantasy, and it did not disappoint. It's so, so different from Murderbot in that that is a space opera featuring a artificial intelligence who just wants to watch basically the space version of Netflix and hang out all day and these pesky humans keep interfering and having all of these feelings and ugh, it's terrible. Um, and it's such a funny and thoughtful and compassionate, oddly, and just really entrancing vision of what a future AI could be like. 
And I really wasn't sure what to expect of her fantasy. But in the same way that she's so good at characters in Murderbot, she's so good at characters in The Element of Fire. It is a like high fantasy, medieval setting, vaguely European. It takes place in a court, a royal court where there is a succession issue. And I will give trigger warnings for child abuse and emotional abuse are pretty central elements in this story. The previous king was a terrible king and a terrible father. And he has left behind a very weak-willed son on the throne. And his daughter, who was illegitimate, the daughter of the Queen of Air and Darkness, like a, a fae elf type person, uh, Cade, she has been banished from court for a while and has been sending like mischievous and potentially perilous gifts to the court just to muck around with things. And the Dowager Queen Ravenna, who was Oh man, such a great character, has been sort of trying to rule the roost with her weak son. So things are complicated. And the main character that we're following is Thomas, who is a queen's guard, who is very jaded and cynical about all of these court things. But it's his job to protect the Dowager Queen. And he has done this for a long time. He's in his 40s, I believe, and is very good at his job. He's good at dueling. He's gotten very good at politics. He's very insightful. He's very interesting. And a bunch of things happen at once. A sorcerer from across the border with a different country has arrived and is, you know, known to be planning to take down the throne. And then Cade shows up in court and people are like, oh, is she here with the sorcerer? Is she going to muck up things even more? And she has reasons of her own for showing up. And everything just spirals out of control at that point. People are dying. There are old feuds hatching. There's a really awful companion to the current king who is a gaslighter and just a manipulator to the nth degree. And he's mucking around with things as well. And everybody has their own motivations. And it's really unclear who can be trusted and who cannot. And I just could not put it down. It was so satisfying. It's the first in a series. So now I have to get all of these. And the ending, oh my goodness. <laughs> I have so many big feelings about the ending. It's fantastic. I won't spoil it. But it was such a pleasure to read a high fantasy that took women and trauma and recovery seriously and still did it in this very traditional sort of setting. Uh, it actually also reminds me now that I'm thinking about it about Swords Point by Ellen Kushner and that whole world, except with much more magic, like there's elves and fae and boggarts and all of that jazz. So it's if you're looking for high fantasy that has great character development and just really is thoughtfully done, I can not recommend it enough. Again, that's The Element of Fire by Martha Wells. And if you're also a fan of Murderbot, I think you will dig it, obviously. All right. So the second book I want to talk about is Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, which she wrote in... <laughs> it was first published in 1993. And oh, that's funny. I didn't realize they came out the same year. How interesting. Uh, so this book, I the first Octavia Butler I ever read was Fledgling, which is her really creepy, bizarre, triggery vampire book. That was my first exposure to Octavia Butler. And it was an amazing one, but a really intense one. And it 
it made me understand her as a very specific kind of author. And then I read, you know, years later, Parable of the Sower, and was like, oh, wait, this is almost, this almost feels like a different person, except that she's exploring some of the very same themes as she's exploring in Fledgling. She's thinking about identity. She's thinking about race. She's thinking about the ways that people manipulate each other. But they just couldn't be more different in terms of setting. Parable of the Sower, if you haven't read it yet, it is a classic. You should definitely get to it. It's set in 2025, and the United States is falling apart. There are these safe enclaves where the richer folks live, and those are still pretty okay. But outside the walls of these enclaves, they're just, you know... Culture has been destroyed. Infrastructure has been destroyed. People have turned to drugs and to violence. And Lauren, the main character, lives in a safe enclave that is then destroyed and overrun. And Lauren is struggling with a condition that is called hyperempathy that makes her extraordinarily sensitive to the pain of others. And this is a very difficult gift, as you can imagine. And so when her enclave is destroyed and her family is killed and she has to go out into this very dangerous world, she has to figure out how she can cope with her own empathy and then also how she's going to survive in this very complicated and dark world. And she bands together with some other folks and she also has been developing her own religion and starts to talk about it with other people. And so it's a very philosophical book in a way, like for a book that does include a lot of violence, and I will give trigger warnings for rape and also animal death. Um, it's it's a really when I think back on what the reading experience is like, it feels really heady, like I had all of these interesting thoughts and philosophical musings from what Lauren is thinking about and is developing. And the religion that she's starting in this book is Earthseed, which is also the name of the two book series. And it's, you know, a practical way of belief as opposed to like a dogmatic theology. And it's a really fascinating concept. And you'll see in reviews of this online that people are like, I totally feel like I'm a follower of Earthseed. It's just fascinating. It's so fascinating. And obviously, even though this was written in 1993, there are a lot of uncanny similarities to things that are going on today politically. So you might want to like brace yourself for that. But it's a really amazing book. And it's so different from my first reading experience of Octavia Butler. And that's one of the things that I love about authors who do have a deep backlist is that you can come to their work at some point in any point and then go back and find these fascinating books that show you just another side of that author and another side of their abilities. And it's just like a never ending party in my brain when I have an author who I can do that with. So again, the books I've been talking about are The Element of Fire by Martha Wells and Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. I would love to hear what uh, authors you have discovered backwards in this way. You can shoot us an email at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you also feel like it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can find me online as Jen IRL, that's Jen with two N's, IRL on Twitter, and I am Jen IRL on Instagram. Instagram.